There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final Lead with Empower podcast episode of 2020. This is episode 39, and we are have kind of come full circle because our first guest, who is my one of my brothers, Greg, is on here, and he is joined by uh, other brother, Matt, and then our parents, Tony and Donna Jascott here. The Jascott family leads with Empower. It's the holidays. It's almost a new year. We thought it would be a fun way to wrap up the first couple seasons of the podcast and get ready for a wonderful, hopefully better than 2020 uh, year, you know, in a few days here. So Tony, Donna, Greg, and Matt, thank you for joining us or joining me on the Lead with Empower podcast. How is everybody doing today? Matt, you're the furthest one away, so we'll start with you. How, how the heck are you? You're sitting in your lovely office in the, uh, this has to be the, uh, one of the music theory labs. It looks very fancy. How are things up at the, at the College of the Holy Cross today? You're right. I'm in my office here at Holy Cross. The campus is dead silent. Um, not many students around, although we are expecting students soon. Um, doing well. Everything's um, going great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And and how did the uh, Ainsley, Holden, and Raylan do with the whole Have they come down from the Christmas high yet, or are they still riding high right now? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Ainsley took a three-hour nap or something the other day, which was finally catching up from all the late nights of excitement. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, thanks for coming on. I know it's busy this time of year, and I uh, appreciate you taking some time. Um, Tony and Donna sitting next to each other on the couch there. Uh, Tony is the former athletic director, former teacher, former coach at Xavier High School. He is now retired, which we'll get into as we get going. Donna, mom, is the assistant to the headmaster and principal at Xavier High School. T and D, how the heck are you two doing? We're doing all right, Big D. <laughs> all right. Doing all right. fine. Uh, Christmas, uh, the holiday, uh, New Year's, my favorite time, year in and year out, my favorite time of the year. So it's been a, uh, in that respect, it's been a, uh, a good, uh, you know, a week or two. Great. A little different than years past. It was great to see you guys with a, a storm door in between us and a driving rainstorm on Christmas Day to exchange gifts and uh, from a, a safe distance, obviously. So glad you guys are on today. Thank you both. And then last, but of course not least, uh, Greg Jascott, who again was our first ever guest on the Lead with Empower podcast. He is the Associate Director of Advancement and a football coach at Xavier High School. Greg, what's going on? How are you? Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me again. It feels like it was a long time ago that I was on the first episode of the uh, Lead with Empower podcast, uh, right when I think, I want to say the lockdown started or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it feels like a long time ago. and feel like we've been in this for a long time, but I'm doing all right. My home office on my vacation, I guess you can say, and not that <laughs> it's really a vacation, but uh, doing all right. Thanks for right. having yeah, me. Yeah, that was back, I think, end of March, early April when Greg jumped on as uh, I figured I'd start in the comfort zone. The podcasting was <laughs> new, so 
might as well start with somebody that if I messed up a couple times, I think we'd still be related. So it was a pretty safe, <laughs> safe uh, jump into the podcasting pond there. But uh, Greg, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, I think everybody's on a little bit of a break vacation right now. So for, and I hope this uh, fills, fills some time or fills your time with a fun conversation here. So lead with empower podcast is a leadership podcast. And it's all about connecting with people who are out there doing it or, in someone's case who was out there doing it and maybe a little less now, but we'll get there as we get going. Um, uh, Mom, Donna, we'll start with you. Talk just a little bit about like the day-to-day role as the assistant to the headmaster and the principal at Xavier High School. And, you know, give us a little bit of insight into what that position entails on a day-to-day. And then also describe, and everybody's gonna, you know, I'll have everybody talk on this, two elements of leadership. So the leadership of self, which is kind of that internal stuff that an individual does to, to be productive, to, to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. And then also leading others. And, um, you know, after, after you describe your role, talk a little bit about how those two elements of leadership kind of play a part in your uh, day-to-day operation as, as the, the assistant to the headmaster and the principal. Well, my day-to-day um, role as the assistant um, is supporting the headmaster and the principal with, um, you know, handling phone calls, um, you know, typing up things for them, preparing mass programs, preparing um, a lot of, preparing for a lot of different events, um, you know, graduation, baccalaureate, assisting with all that preparation, um, opening school mass, um, and, you know, stuff, things like that in that nature. Um, As far as, the leadership piece, um, or what gets what keeps me self motivated, is that I just take a lot of pride in my work. Um, I like to feel that I lead by example. I'm not someone that pushes leadership, but um, you know, on other people. But I like to feel that I, by my work ethic and the way I handle myself on a day to day basis, that I lead by example. Awesome. And I, I think you included this in your description, but our friend Nick Soretta who maybe he'll listen to this. He's not very good on the internet, so we'll have to figure that out. But he always, so we do a lot of work with Xavier and Power does a lot of work with the Xavier High School students. And Nick always hammers me about getting dates on the calendar and he always blames it on you. Is that a true story or tell, tell us a little, cause that sounds like a, a heck of a task to get the calendar organized. And Nick always places the blame, but we'll, we'll have to save that for Nick's second uh episode on the lead with the power podcast is that true is nick uh throwing you under the bus all the time tell us a little bit about that well i would say yeah he most likely is um to be honest with you the calendar actually i left that off of part of my job description is one of the biggest things i do each year um i start that project in march and it takes about three months to get everything put together and you know i finally usually end up printing it up uh sometime in early august um but aside from the general school calendar, I also keep an internal calendar of events. And um, it's actually difficult to get dates from Nick Soretta to put on the <laughs> internal calendar to avoid conflicts with other things that are going on in the building. <laughs> Knowing Nick for all these years, I figured that was the case. I just wanted to get it out in the open there so it's documented <laughs> by everybody. So Nick, I hope you, if you're listening, shots fired in return right there. <laughs> uh, Greg, we'll move over to you next. So. To, so you, you jumped from teaching, you were in, in education in the classroom for quite some time before making the move to the, uh, the advancement office. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the day-to-day grind and some of the, the key responsibilities in your role. And again, how leadership plays a part in, in your day-to-day operation there at Xavier. 
Uh, well, I, this is a year three in the advancement office, and my day-to-day -day is, is pretty simple. It's communicating with, uh, you know, some of the almost 10,000 alums across the world uh, and in fundraising and alumni relations and events and things of that nature, the, the Alumni Association. Um, so I'm on the phone a lot, exchange emails quite a bit. In normal years, I would like to be out on, you know, meeting people and, uh, you know, having conversations, getting to know people, um, you know, that, that have lived the Xavier life at one point or another. But, um, you know, it's an it's a interesting role because you get to hear a lot of stories. Um, you get to meet a lot of great people, a lot of people who've done some outstanding things from their time at Xavier and, and going into their adult lives. And um, you hear some really, really interesting stories and meet some great people. And I, I, you know, it's one of my favorite parts of the, the job now is the, the people that you get to meet and um, you learn so much about who they are and, and you know, what they've done. And the, the, always the, the interesting thing is to hear how they always go back to their time at Xavier and what they learned at Xavier and how it impacted their life. Um, so that, that's, uh, that's a big piece for me. I, I enjoy hearing that stuff and having those conversations uh, because, you know, and I think the three of us and, and dad can, Kind of attest to the same thing. We a lot of a lot of what goes on in our lives, we can go back to our time at Xavier and and think of things that impact our life in one way or another. For sure. Um, in terms of the leadership, I mean, I, I think you know communication is a big part of leadership. You, you got to be able to communicate with people um, and, and have conversation and and you know make sure that you hold yourself accountable and, and to returning phone calls, returning emails, or you know setting meeting dates, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, you know, and the the other big piece I always fall back on, whether it's coaching or in, in my you know day to day job, is you always got to be able to evaluate what you're doing and how you're doing it, uh, and if you're doing it well, and if you're not doing it well, what you have to do to make it better. Um, that's a big thing with me, and it's it's coaching has certainly made that easier to recognize and and evaluate for myself. But I, I you constantly have to evaluate what you're doing, how you're doing it, and and you know, if there's a better way to do it, then do it that way. And, and not being afraid to recognize when you're wrong, yeah. uh, learn from your mistakes and also learn from others. You know, and the reality is this, I've been in that office for three or almost three years. And there's other people who have been doing that, that line of, in, in that line of work for a hell of a lot longer than I've been in there. So it's, you know, I, I got to be able to learn from others and, and take people's advice. I'd be stupid not to. Yeah, absolutely. It, what Talk a little bit about, because this is completely different for you. Part of your job is obviously fundraising for Xavier High School. And I know you put on, there's the, the golf tournament every year and, and sponsorship for the athletic fields and that type of stuff. Going, and, and you might have to think back, you know, to when you started in that position, how how much of a challenge was it for you to start to have to pick up the phone and, and really try to <laughs> you know, ask for money, right. To support the school, which is not an easy thing to do. How, you know, tell us a little bit about, was that a challenge and kind of what were some of the ways that you coach yourself through that challenge? Yeah, I think it was a challenge at first because it was new. I'd never done it really uh, prior to, to hopping in that role. Um, but I, the thing I always fall back to is, is to why I'm asking someone for money and, and why I do what I do and our office does what it does. And the reason we do what we do is for the kids that go to Xavier high school. Yeah. So Yes, the ask is difficult. It's awkward at times, especially the first couple of times you do it. But if you bring it to that side of it and people understand what, you know, why you're asking for money um, or what the need is, I, I think that it, it becomes a little bit more of a comfortable conversation once you have, once you kind of throw that out there. And 
Um, you know, not to just the golf tournament itself. I mean, we went from, I think the first year we, we raised uh, about $50,000 and next year was about 70 and this year was over 85. Yeah. Uh, but again, we don't go ask people, Hey, can you sponsor our golf tournament? It's, can you sponsor our golf tournament because we're trying to raise money for financial aid, which in turn is going to give a kid a chance to, to have an education at Xavier and hopefully a great high school experience, which, which the majority I would say that attend Xavier do. Yeah. Uh, so that, that helped. Uh, and again, I think the, you know, the nerves, the first year is just, you've never done it. You know, it's like anything that you start new, you got to get used to doing it and, and be experienced. Certainly, you know, once you have the experience, it becomes a little bit more comfortable. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer there. And then uh, we'll move over to Matt. Matt's a little different than everybody else on here. And I, sure so, is. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he has a doctorate, which is the only one out of the five of us. Uh, he's into music. He, he's a, a professor of music. And uh, although my father, Tony, would probably have liked to take that route at some point as a career path, it didn't work out for him. He had to go, go in a different direction. But Matt's up at the, uh, the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, professor in the music department. Matt, tell us a little bit about uh, your role up at Holy Cross and, uh, again, uh, the, the, the role leadership plays in your day-to-day. All right. First, I want to say that I'm, I'm trying to talk dad into getting a guitar during during the quarantine. And, Not a bad idea. Uh, and you could teach him. You could give him some lessons. Um, <laughs> Three chords. That's all he's going to learn. Three <laughs> chords special right there. <laughs> I'm so um, it's crazy. I'm in my 11th year at Holy Cross now. Uh, I'm teaching in the music department. Teach a variety of courses for both majors and non-majors. Uh, music theory courses, which are the intro level courses into our major, um, and in addition to that, I'm, I'm a composer and a pianist, and uh, that involves organizing concerts and presenting music, both on campus and away from campus. And I'm also an accompanist for the Holy Cross Choir, and I play for, I've played for many church choirs in the past as well, and led some church choirs as well. Uh, day to day, you know, I'm in the classroom in, in, the, in a normal year. This year, it's... You know, <laughs> Uh, and practicing and going to concerts and supporting students in that way. Uh, and what we call coaching in music is a little, a little different than coaching in, in, in athletics, but uh, coaching student groups or of, of musicians who are performing pieces together and stuff like that. So it's interesting, as Greg was saying, just the people you come across of across students and colleagues or, you know, in the field on campus or away from campus. It's really amazing to be in this field and, and be around so many people. And what I think where the leadership plays a part, I think as far as self-leadership is just the dedication to practicing or composing. And um, it's really self-motivated. No, I'm, I, no one is forcing me to practice and work up a repertoire for a concert or no one's forcing me to write a piece of music. Um, so I think it's really a self-motivated process and having the dedication and the discipline to to work, to put the work in that has to be done to be successful in that. And, and in terms of others leading other leadership and others, uh, I often have first year students who come into campus and they have some interest in music. They're not quite sure what it means to major in music. And they take the first, first semester in music theory. Uh, and while I'm not an official advisor, I end up being sort of an un, unofficial advisor to a lot of these students, not only because I'm a Holy Cross alum, but just because I'm their teacher in their first first or first two semesters and yeah. 
talking about path. And it's, it's just such a hard age of um, really the formative years of, uh, of being an adult. And especially now with the way jobs are and, and which direction to go. Uh, so I find myself being that sort of advisor type figure to a lot of students, both first years and then later they come back to me as they're getting close to graduation for advice. And, um, you know, and, and then working with some performers um, individually, sometimes in a one-on-one -on -one or composers one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, and just to try to bring my experience, um, experiences to them and help them on their path. That's great. And, and you're the first uh, guest that we've had on who's in a, in a profession of music. Um, how challenging has it been? You know, you can't gather, you know, um, singing, you know, singing indoors. It was one of those big like uh, no go activities right out of the gate with the whole COVID situation. Instruments, same thing, even outdoors. It was a little trickier. How big of a challenge has that been? Um, you know, not only from your perspective as a performer, right, but also, you know, trying to help your students get the, you know, the education and music that they, you know, went, went the Holy Cross to get. Yeah, it's certainly a huge challenge in our whole field. Um, I thank God every day that I'm, I have this position as a, as a uh, teacher to support myself right now, because many of my friends who are freelancers, they are, you know, are, are really facing some hardships right now, because as you mentioned, you know, there, there's no live performance really um at, still at the moment um and it's been it's but it's also been a time of great ingenuity and, and um, figuring out a way to perform and record and present concerts online certainly not the same experience but it's been a way for people to be involved in performance and connect with an audience that you're used to connecting with um, again in a completely different way and um but that being said i'm really happy that i'm able to teach and I'm still able to play organ in church and have that sort of experience of performing in front of people. Um, I recently put together a virtual concert and it's just an interesting experience. It's so different as, as the one participating in it. And I've listened to a bunch of them. It's just not the same experience, but it's, it's all we could do right now. And I think musicians across the world, across, um, have, have done an amazing job of, of figuring out a way to still be active. Um, yeah. And in terms of teach, it's it's a challenge to teach. Um, I don't I don't teach large ensembles, but I'm involved as an accompanist, or and I see the work that goes in from from both the the directors and the students. Who and one the one thing about recording music as opposed to live performance in a recording, everything's so exposed. So so it's you know and and that you put yourself out there and you're putting yourself out there in front of people too in a live experience, but if you make a mistake, it goes by. Um, but your own, you're, everyone's their own worst critic. And when you're listening to your recording, it's, you know, it, it's very difficult to put together something that you really feel represents yourself, um, and especially for the students as well. So I give a lot of credit to the any directors of large ensembles who are working to put that together. And in the classroom, you know, some of the the way that I like to connect to to, to the material of music theory is with sound. Right. Not only sound um, from recordings, but also singing a lot really helps internalize lots of uh, the concepts. And, you know, I could have them sing on Zoom, but all their mics are off. So <laughs> I, I imagine most of them aren't doing it or or I can't really hear how they're doing with it. So it's been an interesting experience. And, you know, we're all just working as hard as we could to keep it as fruitful as possible, but um, yeah. certainly challenging. 
Great. And, and I, uh, in talking with a lot of teachers, that the, there's always the challenge of getting students to turn on their video during Zoom and to be engaged during Zoom classes. I can't, that's a tough ask, you know, trying to get, get college age students to sing during a Zoom class in front of other people. So uh, it's good that you might, might put that on the back burner and work, you know, work for some other alternative solutions to get the, get the content across and, and give them a great education. Great answers there. Matt and, and Greg and Donna and, and uh, last but not least, we're going to come to Tony, uh, who after a very long period of time uh, at Xavier High School in athletics and education is now in, in a little bit of a different universe as a retiree. Um, so <laughs> what have you been doing? So in, in all seriousness, you've gone from this position where you kind of work your normal daytime shift and then throughout all three sports seasons of, of uh, uh, an academic year, there's not many nights where you're home at like four or five o'clock. You go from that pace and tempo to now being retired. Talk to us a little bit about that. And, you know, there's definitely, uh, you know, uh, the impact leadership uh, has, has played for you now that you've made that transition. Well, let me tell you this. Uh, uh, I've enjoyed retirement uh, up until the uh, the virus came. Uh, it's been a little more difficult because of it. Uh, I see fewer people uh, because I don't get out as much. Uh, uh, but uh, what a change. And, and the, the greatest thing about the change after retirement is that I finally get an opportunity to spend time with, uh, with mom, you know, uh, Donna, and uh, I get an opportunity to actually go to a game that Greg's maybe coaching, uh, you know, uh, so I could really enjoy watching the game, watching the kids play and not having to worry about, uh, you know, uh, you know, the uh, duties and responsibilities that I had for a lot of years. I get a chance to uh, jump in the car and, uh, you know, uh, babysit uh, in Massachusetts uh, for our, our uh, beautiful uh, uh you know, uh, grandchildren. And I actually even get a chance when uh, Dan invites me when he's doing something at Xavier or something at, at Power, I could jump in the car and uh, go and spend time watching the leadership uh, live and in person. Uh, uh, I've learned a lot, uh, you know, uh, from, you know, not only, uh, you know, you guys, uh, my three sons, uh, but also from Donna. Uh, I've reversed roles now. Uh, I used to be the leader. Now Donna's the leader, and uh, you know she barks out orders before she goes to work uh, in the morning. You know, Not make true. sure you get the laundry done. And uh, you know, did you ever think about learning how to cook a little bit so I could come home? <laughs> I tried it about four or five times uh, in the last uh, couple of years. It hasn't worked out as well as. Uh, Donna would hope. Uh, you know, it's well, like Greg making the calls to ask for donations. Though. You just got to do it a few more times and you'll be, you'll become an expert before you know it. Oh yeah. I give he my... actually did a good job on a couple of meals and yeah. it was nice to walk in the door and smell food cooking. <laughs> so the transition, uh, 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 it's, it's less, way less hectic for me, uh, way less stress, uh, you know, more enjoyable. Although I must say, uh, I miss the routine. I miss seeing people from day to day. Uh, it's it's so different in that respect. Uh, but life has slowed down a bit for me, and uh, in a positive manner because I do keep myself busy. My day to day routine, um, you know, for uh, to maintain my health, 
uh, I, I would uh, try to, you know, develop a new routine, which was uh, getting up uh, uh, early in the morning. Uh, as soon as uh, mom would get off the work, uh, Donna would get off the work. I would uh, three days a week, uh, I would do uh, some type of lifting program and walk after the lifting program those three days a week. And uh, my off days would be uh, strictly walking uh, on the treadmill when the weather's inclement or cold and outside uh, in the beautiful, uh, you know, farm er land area, yep. you know, uh, in the area where we live. That's great. And, and I, Greg and I can attest to this and Matt too, and, and, and Donna as well, uh, during the summer months when the weather was nice and we had the, obviously we're not supposed to go out and do stuff. Your golf game improved ever so slightly, ever so slightly. <laughs> I think Greg and I are on about a 10 year winning streak right now. Yeah, my, my, new for... <laughs> goal, yeah, my new goal, my new goal is uh, to maybe, uh, I'm not going to take lessons uh, where people could see me taking lessons, but I'm gonna <laughs> turn, on, turn on the golf channel and learn, uh, you know, that I have to use a, uh, to, you know, a wedge to close to the green instead of my driver, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe learn how to read a putt and, uh, uh, my goal. And I'm sure it's Matt's goal too. Uh, we're going to whoop you guys, uh, this upcoming summer. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. It's, <laughs> hey, this is this is documented now. This is recorded here, so we'll have to see about that. Um, but all, not only the golf the only game. Guy, I'm the only guy in the family to get a hole in one, so I have that hanging over everybody. I think. <laughs> I <am>. <laughs> <laughs> not only that through the golf game, but also the you you talked about the routine. Just you know this, and I don't know if this this came as a decree from uh, Mom on high uh, on Hillcrest Ave or or not, but. Just the, the backyard, a lot of projects that you found yourself working on as well. It looks great. So things along that line to kind of, you know, form a new routine that since you're not, you know, at uh, at Randolph Road, Xavier High School every day now. Yeah, simple as this, stay busy during retirement. That's my, uh, you know, my advice to anybody that's a, a new retiree. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, great star. Again, we have uh, Tony, Donna, Greg, and Matt Jascott here on the Lead with Empower podcast. This uh, wasn't on my uh, on my notes, but I, I guess I'll, I'll throw it in there. Um, so when we were young, Greg, Matt, and I, um, Tony, our father, was at Xavier, again, as a teacher, assistant athletic director at the time, and was also coaching uh, the football in the fall and, and, and baseball in the spring while the three of us were young, uh, young puppies. Mom, Donna... <laughs> was playing like one on three defense there. How, and now that we're all adults and you can let, how, how challenging was it to balance? Like dad's not there. Cause, and I, Greg probably heard this more than everybody, but like, wait till your father gets home was a common threat. I think when we, <laughs> when we were young, <laughs> but how, in all seriousness, like between, we all played sports, we all, you know, had academic stuff and Matt was, you know, we, I think a little music stuff uh, more from Matt than Greg and I, how hard was that to juggle, you know, not necessarily by yourself, but by yourself a lot of times. Well, honestly, the um, early years were the easiest when you were all kind of when you were young and we were home. I was home with you guys um, and there was there were no sports. There was nothing going on. You weren't going to school. So we would just um, spend time with uh, family and friends with, that had, you know, they were home with kids. And, you know, it was it was easy um, when sports started. That was when everything became extremely hectic. Um, and I also 
pretty much shortly after that started working part-time at Xavier. And then, well, actually I started working part-time when Matt was in uh, uh, pre-K. So um, I would say that once I started working and then once you guys started playing sports, it became extremely hectic. And um, it, you know, from August when football season started until um, November, the end of November when it ended um, and you were all involved in youth soccer, um, I would be basically running from one field to the other um, with the car. <laughs> dropping somebody off, picking somebody up, or I would find somebody to take one of you to one game because I had a conflict with uh, somebody else's game. Um, but you know what? It was a great time. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved every minute of being home. Um, loved every minute of, of watching you guys grow and, um, you know, uh, have fun and, you know, aside from as, you know, there were a couple of times, Dan, I think when you were older, I forgot to pick you up at Xavier and you ended up walking home. <laughs> and our Uncle Dave drove you down the street because he saw you walking home. I think I did okay managing to get everybody everywhere they had to be and back home again. <laughs> uh, that's, that's better than, I think, uh Joe, Joe Durang, who was a former player uh, of, of yours, dad, and, and a former Xavier student, friend of our family, for sure, founder of Empower. He was, uh, he used to drive Greg Stankwitz home from football practice and forgot him, I think once a week, usually, and all the way down to Portland. So uh, I didn't mind the one mile walk home from, uh, from Xavier. It wasn't too bad. And, and as you mentioned, Uncle David, who lived across the street, was uh, usually there if he saw me and would pick me up if the weather was crummy. So that's, uh, Appreciate that. And hopefully we weren't too much of pains in the asses for you while you were in, on that one to three defense there. Cause it couldn't have been easy. No, and, uh, I was on the offense all the time, Dan. And, uh, <laughs> and you know what? I enjoyed every minute of it. It was so much fun. Nice. Awesome. Hey, uh, Tony, we're going to come back to you. So obviously you were in the position of athletics for a while, you, you know, whether it be as a physical education teacher, coach, athletic director, um, Taking, taking yourself back to when you were in that position, you know, uh, uh, recruiting people to coach, hiring coaches, you know, really building out that athletic department there. What were, if you had to identify like one or two key leadership traits, right, um, for coaches that you were looking to bring into the, uh, the, the Xavier Athletics Department, what would those one or two key leadership traits be and why, why do you value those so high? Um, you know, personally, but also when you were part of that program, part of that department? Um, I'm not sure if you classify this as a, uh, a leadership trait. Uh, I do personally, but, uh, you know, passion, you know, passion for what you're doing, you know, for the sport that you're coaching. Okay. Uh, passion leads to, which is a leadership trait, work ethic. You know, uh, are you willing to go above and beyond? Um you know, uh, I just go back to uh, and and Greg learned from this uh, this uh, uh, gentleman uh, that was our former football coach, Sean Marinan. He had high expectations. Okay, he worked hard at it, obviously, but he had high expectations for his coaches and his student athletes, his football players. But anything that he expected from his coaches and his student athletes, he would take on himself. Mm -hmm. And that's some. Um, nobody ever worked as hard as 
Sean Marinan, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, early on in my, uh, you know, as the athletic director, uh, early on in my years as athletic director, um, uh, um, Greg, you know, I'm sure Sean was Greg's role model. And to me, you know, uh, Greg has taken on that role, uh, uh, you know, as a football coach in the Xavier football program. You know, and I think that you see that in the athletes that play for coaches, the athletes that play for a guy like Mike Cunningham mm -hmm. that goes above and beyond, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, his work ethic is second to none. And it, it especially for the, the coaches and the kids that buy into, you know, what that coach is all about. And, you know, by the success over the years of our football program, our wrestling program, you could see that filters down, you know, not only to the coaching staff, but to the kids themselves. So I would say passion, work ethic. And I would add, I don't know, again, do you call it a, uh, a leadership quality? I do. Humility. You know, uh, I see coaches at Xavier that I have coached, uh, you know, uh, uh, grooming the field. You know, I've brought uh, uh, Gatorade and, and water to Greg uh, on the back practice field, but nobody sees it's a Sunday afternoon and he's lining the field, putting hash marks down, even putting numbers down. Uh, he learned that from a great coach. Yeah. And Greg is teaching that to other coaches, some of the young coaches that just got into the program. And uh, because of it, the kids are learning that. Yeah. So those are things, you know, uh, you know, that, that uh, not only you, you reap the benefits, you know, uh, during a season, you know, or, or during the kids four years of playing the sport for you, but you reap the benefits of these kids, using these qualities to, to uh, uh, in, in their uh, later life, throughout their, their life. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, and you know what? I, I had the, uh, I guess I would call it uncanny ability to uh, read a person in interviews. Uh, I'll give you an example. My two assistant athletic directors, you know, Tim Coase and Dan DeConte, I would hire them at the snap of a finger. Why? Because just by, you know, you know, hearing, you know, uh, uh, and seeing their passion for what they wanted to do as assistant athletic director or when they were coaching as coaches, you know, I hired them at the snap of a finger, yeah. you know, uh, uh, because of that passion, you know, and uh, with Pat, the passion brings about a great work ethic, you know, which brings about success, you know, not only in wins and losses, but success that carries on sometimes throughout the rest of the athletes that they're coaches uh, coaching throughout their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great um, kind of, I was going to throw in a, a second uh, follow-up question, but you kind of answered that, that balance of, Hey, you want to win games. You want to be successful as a high school athletic program, but you also realize over the course of the four years, you know, with a, with an athlete who's in the, the, the wrestling, football, basketball, whatever, whatever sport, you know, your hope is, you know, I asked Mike Cunningham and he was, I think our second guest on the podcast. Uh, again, I stayed close to home with the low risk guests in the beginning. Um, but, you know, I asked Mike, like, hey, one of your wrestlers who's been through your program, what's an employer getting? And he said, they're going to show up on time. 
They're going to work their tail off. They're not going to make excuses. They're not going to get sick days. So great, great point there, TJ. You stole stole the thunder of the follow-up question, and it's a perfect um, – we'll transition up to Matt. So, Matt, leadership qualities of, uh, of uh, a college student, in particular in the music department up at Holy Cross, what are some of the things that you look for um, as, as traits that, you know, hey, maybe this person's not as talented musically as this other person, but they do these other things that might help them kind of gain an edge? Yeah, I think a lot of there's there will be some overlap because one of them is just having a passion for it, right? Just like Dad was saying about um, coaching or really about anything, right? If you want to be successful, anything is just having that passion. And even if you're a little bit, you know, some less experienced than a student who who might be more talented at the time and ha has uh, more experience but doesn't have that same passion, so I think that's a big part of it. And being, you know, you you don't go into music because you want you want money necessarily because you know it's very rare to make it to the big time as a musician, right? So, so a lot of it's about that passion. Uh, punctuality is is a huge thing with musicians because everyone's running all over the place doing thing to thing to 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 be successful from one rehearsal to a um, to a class to a performance and just being on time and being prepared. Yeah. Right? So those really those three things just really uh, going all in in terms of your your interest level and your passion and being prepared uh, because the the last thing you want to do when you're working with people in an ensemble is to waste people's time either because you're unprepared or you're late so being on time and being prepared those are some of the things that I look for but you know in terms of younger students it's really just you know first how what is their interest level are they in the class and they're are they getting by right are they and I'm not worried about what their grade is, but is there, are they doing work that's better than their level of talent and experience? Yeah. Or are they doing work that's a little bit below where they should be? And it's those people that are on the higher side where maybe they only have this level, level of experience, but their work level is somehow up here. It shows you that work ethic and the interest level is there. What do you hope, um, and, and uh, we could speak to the maybe the non-majors because that's a tricky dynamic, right? And I remember as a college student having to take some classes that were out of major. Um, what do you hope, like what, is there a, a skill that you hope a student who is a non-major who's going through one of your classes can maybe pick up from their experience with you over the course of a semester or a year? Yeah, it depends. It's a little bit dependent on the course because different courses have different um, objectives, different courses have different objectives, but, uh, you know, one thing in terms of musically, I want everyone to become a, a better listener, critical listener, regardless of style, regardless of what type of course it is. So, um, you know, to improve in their, their ability to hear a piece of music and understand it. Uh, so that's one, one level. And then I think, um, I think for any college course, um, writing assignments and presentations our skills, you know, oral presentations are skills that um, are applicable regardless of your field. So in my non-major classes and create, create, creativity as well, there's creative projects, writing assignments and, um, and uh, oral presentations. And I think the ability to present material or present yourself and then to write on it, um, that's, I'm often most critical of short writing assignments. I, I just read my evaluations from 
last semester. He grades these assignments too hard or something like that. But it's really <laughs> important to be able to write because that's the yeah. first that you're always going to write a letter to for a job or something like that. And creativity is an important uh, skill, especially in music, but in all fields and all areas of life. And uh, you actually just participated in a creative project for my non-major class where they wrote some topical protest song lyrics and, and we recorded them. So, and it's a fun, I like to have, give, give them something tangible to, you know, remember 20 years down the road, oh yeah, we wrote, you know, put together this song or something. They might not remember the exam or the paper, but but that's, I think projects like that, that are, give them a sense or, or an um, op opportunity to be creative, but also are projects that are more memorable. Yeah. Um, so, that, so those are some of the things for my non-majors that I hope they get out of it. That's a great answer. And I think, you know, when the pandemic, whenever it's all said and done and it's over with and the dust settles and when it, God knows when the hell that's going to be, but it's going to happen at some point, I think, knock on wood. Um, but that, that idea of being creative and, hey, there is, there is a challenge, right? There's something in the way. We can't teach the way we normally teach. We can't coach the way we normally coach. We can't, we can't do team building the way we normally do team building. What, what's the creative solution around it? And you know, I think with a couple of those skills that you said there, that, that creative problem solving, you'll, fi you'll find an alternative solution and it might not feel like it's as good, but um, you know, I think if you put the passion and the work ethic into it, it ends up being like, hey, this, this could be a new way to record music or to perform when we're not able to get together for whatever, whatever reason in the future. So great, great answers there, Matt. And we'll go to Donna next. So you've been, again, at Xavier, um, whether it was uh, when you were a mom of, you know, or a, a wife of a coach there or a mom of some sons who play there or as an employee there, what do you feel like, you know, the, the, you know, under the Xavier mission, what are some of the leadership qualities that Xavier High School looks for in their faculty and staff team members? What are the couple that, that stick out to you, Donna? Um, I would say, first of all, talking about passion, I, I really think that anybody in any profession, whether it's teaching, whether it's being in an office, whether, um, you know, you're working, uh, selling some clothes or whatever, you have to have a passion for what you do. And I would say for in the teaching, I would say you definitely have to have a passion to um, teach, um, to get in front of uh, kids every day and present material. And because if you don't have the passion when you're um, you know, teaching them, they're going to feel that they're going to know that you're, you're just going through the motions. And if you're just going through the motions, um, they're not going to get anything out of it. Um, and, and I honestly think that any role you have in life, um, you need to have passion for life in general, and you need to have a passion for what you're doing at the time in your life, um, to reap the, be the benefits out of it. So whether you're, you know, like I was for a while, um, an stay-at-home mom, um, you know, I had a passion to be home with my children and raise them myself. I didn't want to go to work and send my kids, you know, my son to daycare. Um, and I, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that was my passion. Um, as far as um, the work I do, um, I, you know, I fell in love with Xavier High School. Um, when I started going, I mean, when I, Mercy and Xavier High School actually, um, but Xavier I became more attached to because um, in the sense that it became, it was dad's work environment. We spent a lot of time there. It became my work environment. Um, 
you guys were basically raised at Xavier as much as you were raised at home. Um, and I do have a passion for um, what Xavier High School is about. Um, and I also feel um, a strong connection to the Zverian brothers and what they started at Xavier High School and the passion that they have for um, their, their brotherhood and for role modeling for uh, kids, for students um, and teaching. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I, I was really happy that you could all experience that. And I experienced that myself in so many ways for the past 30 some odd years. Um, you know, watching uh, people teach, um, working with the people that I work with, the other administrative assistants, um, collaborating on things, um, helping each other out, um, you know, um, and just being, finding success because of that um, yeah. in a lot of ways um, and feeling good about yourself because the passion that you exude in your job or anything else comes back to you um, and makes you feel good about what you do every day. And it doesn't matter what your role in life is. Like I said, it could be many different things, but what you put into something reaps the benefits yeah awesome awesome thank you and then uh last but not least greg i'll have you speak to like the high school student athlete what are some of the you know if you had to pick captains for a sports team what are some of those key leadership qualities or traits that you're looking for in a student athlete to say hey this one this one gets it this is the this is the young guy or the young girl that we can really you know rally behind and embrace them as our leader I think, I think dedication is a big thing. I mean, you know, like, like a lot of things for these, these kids nowadays, there's, you know, so much that goes into to playing sports and there's, you know, so much more specialization than there was when, even when you, Matt and I were kids, but dedication is huge and, and, you know, lead by example. You don't have to be the most vocal, vocal kid on the team to be a captain or to be a leader. You got to be dedicated. You got to be, you know, around, you got to be in the weight room in the off season, uh, you got to be doing the, you know, going the extra mile, whether it's, uh, you know, going to run routes with the quarterback or um, if you're a quarterback going through your footwork in the off season, things like that. Um, you know, at practice, you got to be on at practice, you know, and, and it's easy, it's easy to get caught up in just, you know, kind of going through the motions when you're a kid sometimes, but you gotta, you gotta be all in and, and dedicated. I think that's a huge piece. Um, and, and then you gotta be, you gotta hold yourself accountable and that, that, goes from the student athlete point of view, but also from the coaching point of view. Uh, but it, from the student athlete point of view, you know, hold yourself accountable for, for your actions, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and at Xavier, we've been fortunate to, to, to coach a tremendous group of kids for many years that, you know, at least since I've been there. And I think uh, uh, TJ would echo those sentiments. Uh, you know, we're fortunate to coach the, the student athletes that we, we get at Xavier Um you know, and, and for the most part, there are the majority of them are very dedicated to what they're doing. They want to they want to improve. Um, you know, and that's that's the the third part I was going to bring up is a desire to to get better every yeah. day. You know, um, it's something I kind of live by is getting better every day, whether it's in season out of season. And I think that that to be a good leader, you have to have that desire to to get better uh, at your craft. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Great answers across the board. And we'll move on to the, the next segment here is 
Um, and I think everybody touched on this a little bit indirectly, but how experiences shape us. Right. So, um, you know, you know, Tony's experience, uh, you know, as a, as a coach will probably, you know, probably had an impact on him, uh, when he became athletic director, how to treat other coaches, how to build a program, uh, Matt's experience going through, you know, uh, advanced degree in music has probably shaped him as a professor at some level, so on and so forth. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this, obviously, you know, my family so I, I have to be somewhat excited about this this episode here but <laughs> but I'm also excited because we have you know four different people who do four very different things right and and at four different stages of life um and and my hope is you know again the people that are listening you know might not agree with everything that they're hearing from everybody but that they hear something from somebody on one of these episodes that inspires them um the next question and we'll go around the horn with this uh, uh, a past experience, and I, I, I'm going to have you try to focus in on one one experience, and this is going to be hard, especially for the older folks on the on the call here. <laughs> but uh, a past experience in your life, positive or negative, you can choose um, that has uh, had a major impact, or that is that has shaped uh, who you are as a person, who you are as a leader. All right, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll start with Matt here. Matt, take it away. So I think in, when I was in graduate school, I was in a composition program, which you're not required to perform at all. You're just writing some music and, and hopefully getting that performed. But I'm also a performer and I wanted to perform. So a couple of friends of mine had started a student run ensemble um, and I had approached them. Could I perform with you all? You know, if, if you need a pianist and they needed a pianist. So it worked out well. And year one, I perform on the concerts. I have some of my music played. It's all great. And then the guy who started the whole thing was moving on to his next degree at a different institution that, all right, you're in charge of this next year. And, you know, it was a student run organization that could, it could have easily folded, but I wanted to, I thought it was really important for, for the school of music to have a dedicated to sort of newer compositions rather than the classics. Um, so I took over and I didn't know what I was doing uh, because it involves more than just now showing up, learning some music and performing it. Now you're dealing with booking venues, um, making programs, printing programs, trying to get some funding from the department, which is not, as Greg pointed out earlier, um, is not always an easy ask. And then especially from a grad student, they don't want to just, they're not going to always throw money your way. Um, finding performers who were interested, holding, you know, getting performers who would be accountable. I had some couple stories who were uh, performers who weren't so accountable and, and um, you know, then having to sort of talk to those people uh, about the bind they're putting us in and, and, and stuff like that. But um, so I think that experience, and I was only there for a year um, and I, and also finding good people under me who could help me out with it. Yeah. Um, and this was in 2000. Uh, 10 I think and one of our concerts had a nice review in the Washington Post this is at University of Maryland in College Park and which was great so we had some press and then I'm happy to say that it, it's an ensemble that became um, embedded within the School of Music at University of Maryland and still exists today um, but that experience of, of now you're in charge and now you have so many more roles that you have to take care of really kind of shaped how I attack different things, whether it's teaching or organizing performances and so on and so forth. Great, great. And then we'll go to Greg next. I'll, I'll 
go with the coaching side. And I may, I may have used this, uh, on our, our, the first episode, Dan, but, um, I, I really can't remember off the top of my head. Um, was one year I was, uh, a freshman football coach and was asked the, I want to say the day before, I shouldn't say asked, I was told by Sean Marin the day before practice started that I'd be coaching outside linebackers at the freshman level, um, which up until that point, all I had coached was quarterbacks. And um, it certainly helped shape my coaching career because what it did is it forced me to learn in a very, very short period of time before the first practice quite a bit. Um, and, and I kind of use that experience now still to this day in that I want to learn as much as I can about every position on the field, whether it's offense, defense, special teams. Um, and it, it was, uh, again, not nothing major. It was just a small thing. And it's freshman football. It's coaching ninth graders. So it's not, you know, not a huge deal. But in terms of my coaching career, it certainly helped me kind of branch out and, rec- you know, realize that there's a hell of a lot more to the game than just coaching quarterbacks and knowing the offensive side of the ball. Um, so that little thing that, that happened the day before a, a freshman practice in the fall or August um, has kind of helped shape my career in the, in terms of my desire to learn, you know, constantly be learning and, and trying to improve as a coach and that, you know, learning different parts of the game. And like I said, regardless of what side of the ball it's on, um, you know, and as, as dad said earlier, you know, Sean Marin and, um, you know, he, he asked me to do it. And I think he would ask himself to do the same thing if he was a young coach and, you know, there's the position that needed to be coached. He's never coached before. Um, that's why I was, you know, I guess sort of comfortable accepting that role, but uh, <laughs> not that I had much of a choice, but no, I mean, it's just, again, a little, very little, little thing that, that over time is, you know, I kind of go back to every once in a while and say, you know, you got to continue to learn. You got, you always have to want to learn more about what you're doing. Uh, as soon as you get to the, you know, and, and I fortunately haven't reached this point yet and hopefully never do, but if you ever get to a point where you feel like you know it all or got it all, you're probably not doing your job to the best of your ability anymore. And you're kind of, you're probably doing the, the kids that you're coaching a disservice at that point. You gotta, you gotta want to get better. And and it goes back to that whole self-evaluation thing that I talked about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer. And it's actually, it's in line with, again, another, uh, person that we're all familiar with uh ted france from up at springfield college when he he was on to kick off i think the second season of the podcast and i i asked him like ted when i was a student of yours we would show up to an event and and and, you know you would bring a few of us to work and you would always say hey I'll, i'll do the first couple activities to get things going and then we'll we'll break everybody up into small groups so you know each of you knew kind of you know, team builders or whatever, your student facilitators have your own little small group. It's low risk. And the first time I ever did a team building event, we got there and, uh, you know, we, Teddy introduces us to the group and says, Hey, Dan's going to lead the first activity. I'm like, what the hell are you doing to us, man? Like, you know, you're throwing us to the fire. And, and his response was, you thought we were throwing you to the fire. I thought we were putting you in a situation where you were going to be able to step up. And it sounds like, you know, that's what, what Sean did to you in, you know, in your mind, it's like, why the hell are you doing this to me before yeah. practice? I don't want to do this, but you know, he knew it would be the right move for you. And, you know, it'd be a good challenge for you to help build that skill that sticks with you to this day. So great story there, Greg, we'll move over to Donna and experience. 
She's laughing right now. I don't know if that's an, a good thing or a bad thing here. You can't see it on the Zoom video. Say that again. An experience. an experience that has shaped you as a person, as a leader. And you have to limit it to one. For both Tony and Donna can, you know, if you think I can talk, I learned it from somebody, all right? Um, hmm. All right. I don't, I don't know if this really qualifies as uh, leadership or not, but um, I, I don't really know what to say. So I'm going to go with this. Um, I think one of the most difficult challenges I faced um, in my life was helping. I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah, you are. Helping Grammy Grandpa navigate through the difficult times they had um, with their illnesses and at the end of their life. And I always knew, I, I always felt like I was a really strong person, but the, it was probably one of the most difficult things I ever had to do in my life. Um, And it wasn't the work part of it, um, whatever had to be done, you know, it wasn't that part of it. It was watching them struggle and not really knowing, having all the answers on how to help them. Um, so I would say that was probably um, one of the times that I really had to reach down deep inside and figure out things that I never knew I had would have to do um, to help them um, get through that time mm -hmm. in their life. Um, you know, uh, and you gain a different perspective on life when you see that. Because um, first of all, I thought they were too young to, to go through all that, even though they were in their... <laughs> They're um, their 80s, but <laughs> they were always so vital and so full of life that um, seeing the challenges that life threw with them at that point in their life um, was an eye opener and um, gave me a much greater uh, appreciation for life, um, for everything they gave me um, and my brothers growing up for what they did for us, um, for how much they shaped the person I am and how much they shaped who you are, three of you, um, by their, um, by being part of your life. And even, you know, the, the, how they shaped dad too. Um, and, you know, I guess timing is everything when you do something. Um, but this Christmas in particular, and I don't know if it's because of the pandemic and really basically being alone for the holiday um, through the whole thing, you know, not alone, alone. It's just isolated, I guess, more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought about all the great holidays we had here with them. And how much fun and life they brought into everything. And I'm sorry I'm doing this. No, no, no. <laughs> you don't have to be sorry at all. And and, and I, I just, like, it gave me such a greater appreciation for everything in life. And 
I guess, a greater appreciation of how fragile life can be. Um, even, you know, and I'm, with dad's recent, um, you know, setbacks, um, that you need to really, um, and I don't know if this is leadership or not, but you need to take each day and, and live it to the fullest and appreciate everything you have in your life. Um, you know, we could always want for more. You, you know, you might want a new car, you might want something else, but the bottom line is you really have everything you need in front of you and you just need to appreciate it, live it and love it. And I think that's probably um, some form of leadership. It, it is. And the two things from that one, I love, you know, the, uh, thank you for, for that, you know, great answer. And, um, you know, one, that idea of appreciating what you have and, and making the most out of, you know, those moments when you can get together and you can laugh together or cry together or just talk. Um, but two, and I, I think I've said this to a handful of people and I don't know if I've said it enough to you, but you're, you know, one of the toughest, not women, one of the toughest human beings I've ever crossed paths with. And that goes back to when we were jumping around like idiots on the couch and breaking things, wrestling when dad wasn't around to um, seeing you, um, you know, discover a strength that you maybe didn't know you had um, when you were going through helping with Grammy and grandpa on there, you know, you know, last stretch of, of their time here with us. And um, you know, I, those are both leadership. Like, like, hey, sometimes we don't know, you know, how tough we can be until there's that challenge in front of us that that makes us find it. Um, and you've always answered that phone call to find it. And it's, you know, um, it's absolutely leadership. And it's a testament to your courage and strength as a leader to not just say, oh, someone else will take care of this, or we can hire somebody to take care of this. It's Hey, I don't know if I have it, but I'm going to search like hell to find it. And and you did, and you always have. And there's not a doubt in my mind that you'll always continue to do that. So hell of an answer, D. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> TJ. Yeah, I'd, I'd be remiss uh, not <laughs> to uh, uh, comment on uh, uh, mom's answer, Donna's answer. Uh, uh, to me, it was one of the greatest displays of leadership, uh, you know, uh, that I've seen uh, in life, never mind sports, uh, whatever. But uh you know, uh, uh, mom didn't really want to be in that situation. She really didn't want to do it. And, uh, you know, she knew she had to make the effort to do it. And it went above and beyond the effort. Uh, she did it. And she did it with uh, 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 grace uh, and allowing dignity to uh, both Grammy and Grandpa. You know, and uh, kudos, kudos to mom for uh, setting an example of leadership that uh, will be hard to top. As far as uh, uh, I, I have, a, you know, running through my head, a ton of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, examples. But uh, this is the one that I know Dan's heard it before. I think I've used it on uh, the, the freshman leadership uh, day that you guys do it with the power. But uh, I grew up with a young man, 10 years to the day, just about older than me. Uh, his name's Nick Marchese, grew up in the same neighborhood, which was a, a, a you know, uh, a neighborhood with a ton of, uh, you know, uh, friends that lived on, you know, uh, one or one and a half streets, Hoskins, 
two and a half streets, Hoshka Street, Hubbard Street, and Goodyear Avenue. And Nick Marchese was a, uh, which uh, they called it a little differently back then, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, special needs uh, is, uh, you know, the, uh, the new age uh, name for it, the, the way better uh, name yeah. that they uh, label a person uh, uh, today as compared to the past with. Uh, so Nick was a special needs uh, young man. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember one summer evening and uh, I'll give you the name of the school. It's uh, uh, Stillman School, which is off uh, connected to City School Field, our backyard in our neighborhood. Uh, one summer evening, uh, there was, uh, you know, four or five, uh, probably seemed like they were 30, probably teenage uh, kids, uh, high school age kids. I was probably 12 at the time, meaning Nick was 22. So uh, they started picking on Nick, uh, pushing him around, you know, uh, making fun of him. And I didn't really know what to do other than running home, you know, uh, down the street to his house and telling his mother, who probably didn't even understand, understand one word I was saying, uh, spoke very broken English, uh, and uh, told her Nick is being, uh, you know, picked on by a bunch of older kids. And, uh, you know, uh, by the time I, I, I ran 10 yards, the kids had left and left them alone. And you could see tears running down Nick's cheek, you know. And uh, I vowed that day to myself, uh, you know, uh, you know, never really told anybody until, you know, uh, recently of the story uh, uh, because it had that profound effect on me to the point where I say, I will never ever stand by and watch anybody get picked on for the rest of my life. And I'm happy to say I kept that, uh, that pledge, that promise uh, that I made to myself. And uh, uh, as a teacher at Xavier, as a coach at Xavier, out in the real world, I will never stand by to this day, you know, uh, 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 without protecting the vulnerable, you know, uh, you know, kids being picked on, you know, and I've done that and I've done it well. And to me, that's my, you know, not only a great promise that I've made, it's one of my greatest leadership qualities, uh, you know, uh, uh, that I, that I've uh, had for a lot of years, uh, you know, uh, uh, because of that one incident and Nick Marchese, God rest your soul. Thank you for uh, bringing that out of me. And I, you know, and uh, he never said it to any of us directly, but I think he showed his appreciation. He was at, I think, every single one of our like freshman football games or baseball games. And, you know, anytime you were coaching, Nicky was always there. And, uh, you know, so it, uh, it, it, uh, it shows, it, sh it definitely shows uh, when he, when he was around. So great, awesome answers across the board. Really appreciate you guys being, you know, so honest and, and, and those are some tough conversations and tough stories to tell. And, um, but absolutely all tied to leadership and you're uh, you've, you've almost completed your test. All right. You've almost completed your task. We're on the home stretch right here on the lead with empower podcast, the final episode of 2020. We have Tony, Donna, Jascott, Greg, and Matt Jascott, um, excited to have my family on here to help wrap up the first, uh, first year of doing this podcast here. I have a couple quick hit questions for you. These will go in theory. They should be as like a sentence or less answer. Again, I know with this crew that might be hard to live up to. So, um, 
not when you were a child, but when you were a young professional, right? So first getting into teaching, first getting into coaching and teaching, first getting into working um, in that office setting, who, who was someone that inspired you as a young professional and why? And we'll go with Tony first. Uh, that's an easy one for me. Uh, Larry McHugh, my football coach, uh, for a lot of the things that, uh, you know, uh, we talked about today, uh, uh, he prepared me for the real world, uh, prepared me for football, obviously, but he prepared me for the real world. Uh, uh, he made a, a man out of a young boy, you know, uh, entering Xavier High School and uh, the lessons, uh, you know, uh, that I learned from him. You know, uh, the old saying, when the, when the uh, going gets tough, the tough get going. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, no matter what, you know, fight to the uh, bitter end, then uh, you'll be a success in, in life in the real world outside. Awesome. Great answer. Great answer. And, and for all of you listening, that was exactly one sentence long. We're very good at run on sentences. A lot of commas, <laughs> a lot of commas in our answer. We'll go to Matt next. Uh, one of my teachers at Holy Cross when I was a student here, Sharish Corday, um, was is now a colleague, and he has a unique ability to see talent that students don't know that they have. Um, he saw that in me, and um, that's one thing I try to also do as a, as a teacher is to, um, you know, see see talent that students don't know they have and to cultivate that talent. Awesome, awesome. We'll go to Donna. I'm going to say Brother James Kelly, who hired me at Xavier High School, and um, his work ethic, um, his uh, sense of humor, um, and his um, clear-cut directions, um, his ability to um, maybe correct somebody, sometimes, you know, um, a little on the loud side, but then go back to the person and say, hey, um, you know, I apologize. Um, his support, um, he was always very supportive. Um, and I would say uh, he was a good role model for, um, you know, good work ethic, um, good ability to um, deal with people um, and um, dedicated to his profession. Awesome, awesome, great, Greg. I think there are more commas in that than dads. <laughs> <laughs> one sentence, one sentence. Commas, semicolons, I don't know. Brother Ryan's probably crawling in his skin right now with the poor grammar being used on this episode here, but get over it. <laughs> Mine, mine's pretty simple. We already spoke about him a couple of times. Sean Marinan, uh, he's the guy that hired me to coach uh, Xavier before I even had, had worked in the building. Um, you know, I was 22 years old, I think, um, really had, had never coached a day of football in my life. Um, you know, he hired me, um, and, and just his, his examples, what has kind of got me to where I am today as a coach and, uh, just a, his work ethic alone, uh, you know, and I think, uh, TJ spoke about it for a little while earlier. He, he's, was a tremendous leader of men, uh, you know, his coaches and, and student athletes alike. And, and he, he cared more than a lot of people gave him credit for he cared a, a great deal about the people that he worked with and and more importantly the kids that he coached great awesome uh greg we'll stay with you um i think you know a part of being a great leader is when the the shit's hitting the fan around you and it feels like it's just a complete storm of negativity 
that you know you find some sort of silver lining right to keep the keep the fire going to keep things moving forward to keep progressing keep getting better every day what's one silver lining from 2020 that you want to take with you into next year uh, that's a tough one i i think that i think what 2020 has forced everyone to do or at least myself is it it really gave all of us an opportunity to reflect upon the people that are important to you in your lives and, and how important the relationships that you are, that you have are, uh, you know, and, and I think I said this again on the, the first episode and, you know, you like to think as an educator, regardless of what level that you're having an impact on, on a student's life or student's lives. Uh, but you don't often think about the impact that the kids have on your life, the student athletes, the students, whatever it may be, have on your life. And, yeah, it's one thing that that 2020 has made me realize is that the kids that I get to coach and, and I'm not in the classroom anymore, but you know, you're still teaching every day if you work in a school setting, but the, the kids that you coach and teach, uh, they have a, a, a huge impact on your life in a positive way. And, and they're a big part of your life. Yeah. Uh, and in 2020 certainly given me the opportunity to think about that more than I normally would have in the past. Great. Thank you. Donna, silver lining from 2020 that you want to take uh, into 2021 with you. Silver lining of 2020, appreciate the small things in life um, and enjoy every minute. Um, and that's, that's it, sums it up because you, we, you know, we lost, you, you, we lost out on a lot of just the small, simple things in life that you enjoy doing. And um, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you, you lost out on family time that, you know, you enjoyed that you treasured um, time with friends, a simple thing like going to a movie or something like that. And I, I would say just appreciate every little gift in life, no matter what. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. You're up next. The only thing is you cannot say that you learned how to do Zoom. That can't be your answer to this question. You <laughs> did. I signed it. <laughs> My is very simple. Uh, the silver lining of 2020 is, uh, you know, the continued proof, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, of the love that we have of each other in our immediate family, uh, which includes Kelly and Tracy as well, and our three beautiful grandchildren, or your three beautiful uh, nieces, nieces <laughs> and nephew. Awesome, thank you, Matt. Uh, spending time with family that I normally wouldn't have. That's the simple answer. And then um, I don't really have to elaborate upon it, I don't think. No. And you got to come down and play more golf this year than I think in the past few years. By the fifth time, I hit a couple shots straight. <laughs> the first play... couple were tough. The first couple. Oh, that's that's perseverance say... right there, just to stick it out after the first couple rounds. I was going to say, if, if the four of us played four rounds, Dad and Matt played six, I think. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> um, out of this group of five, who's the best athlete? Me. All right, good. Out of this group of five, who's the best singer? Tony. Me. <laughs> out of this group of five, who's the best artist? Right. Oh, See, I, I could have been a musical artist. It could have went either yeah. way, but we're going Greg there. Who's got the best shaped bald head? Out of this group of five. The host. All right, good answer. <laughs> and are the Giants going to go to the playoffs? Yes. Yes, 100%. 100%. Uh, 100%. That's, 
Knock on wood. I, I, I have a big question mark on that. <laughs> I'll put Greg's twenty dollars that we have we on our a, table on. There you go. Better <laughs> <a> quarterback. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was uh, the final episode of the Lead with Empower podcast. I'm I'm so honored and and privileged and and so excited that we were able to put this together. I've been thinking about you know doing something with everybody. Uh, the Jascott family leads with Empower and. Uh, we, we got it in under the gun. We had a couple more days uh, until we turn over into 2021. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you one final time in 2020 to check it out. The Lead with Empower podcast. That was Donna, Tony, Greg, and Matt Jascott. They lead with Empower. I hope you enjoyed the uh, this episode. I hope you enjoyed the the 30 eight episodes previous to this one and uh just wishing everybody a happy new year a healthy new year and uh hopefully there was something from today's episode that you can take into your life with you uh thanks for being part of the lead with empower podcast go out there kick some ass have a great 2021 we'll see you next year when we restart things be well be safe talk to you soon great leadership may look and sound different however there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.